The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So the theme for the talk and uh, for the class that I'm offering this week is the hindrances. These are, I would call them kind of difficult energies that arise in our meditation practice, but also in our daily life. In fact, I would say that these, um, these five hindrances, which are comprised of um, sense desire, ill will, sloth and, torp- sloth and torpor, restlessness, and doubt, those five. Um, they actually, we can see that they, uh, they kind of make up a lot of our reactive emotions. Um, you know, that we might not find, you know, you don't see frustration in that list, but uh, frustration is kind of a mixture of these and different kinds of mixtures. And so I'll talk about that in a moment. But these, um, these hindrances, they're called the hindrances in our... Um, in our tradition, partly because, well, the Buddha called them the hindrances, um, and he called them the hindrances because they tend to hinder our meditation practice. When we aren't aware of them, when we're not noticing them, when they are kind of running the show, when we are caught by them, they get in the way of the ability of our mind to settle down. They get in the way of concentration, and they get in the way of our ability to just rest in the present moment. Because with these energies, we tend to be pulled out of the present moment. With sense-desire, we're pulled out towards, how can I get this pleasant thing? With ill-will, we're pulled out towards, how can I get rid of this unpleasant thing? With sloth and torpor, sleepiness, we're often just kind of sunk into a fog. With restlessness, our mind is spinning in many different types of ideas, thoughts, questions. And with doubt, our mind is kind of spinning uh, on, can I do this? How can I do this? And so we are not really landing in the present moment when these energies are present. And so they, they get in the way of our meditation. And yet, what the Buddha taught, um, these these um, states of mind, we can call them, are included in his main meditation instructions as being something that we can be mindful of, that we can recognize and get familiar with. And this is a key for us because what I'd like to point to here is that when we explore these energies with mindfulness with uh, this curiosity of what is this experience of sense-desire? How does it feel? How does it feel to be a human being feeling sense-desire? What is it like to be a human being feeling ill-will? That kind of perspective is a very different perspective on these energies than our usual way of relating to them. Usually we, we, we either buy into them and, and, and kind of believe their, their stories, their, uh, their direction. With sense-desire, we believe the, the story that 
I need this thing in order to be happy. I need this pleasant thing. This is what's going to do it for me. Or with ill will, we believe, the, we buy into the story. I'm, I need to get rid of this thing. Or I need to get myself away from this thing in order to be okay. And so we, buy, we typically, when we're not aware of these energies, we are just buying into them and believing the stories they tell, uh, kind of continuing that, that energy by thinking thoughts related to that. How am I going to fix this? How am I going to get rid of this? How am I going to teach that person a lesson because they're done doing this thing that I can't stand? We're caught in our stories and those stories are taking us away from the present moment but are also fueling these energies themselves. And so that's a, that's a very traditional response to these energies is buying into them. Sometimes as we, um, as we start to get familiar with these energies in our meditation and recognize that they, uh, that they, that they feel unpleasant, that they're painful for us, actually, uh, sense, desire, and ill will, um, all of these energies are suffering. And, and so as we begin to understand them as suffering, we can have an, a different response, which is, I need to get rid of them. And so instead of buying into them, we're trying to repress them or, or um, stop them in some way. And so there's this, these two sides that our habitual response to these energies gravitates to, sometimes towards buying into it, almost habitually in our conditioning, we'll buy into them. Or to this, uh, this, this, this is not a good thing to be happening in my mind. I, I, it's not a good thing to be angry. I'm going to stop this. And so this is, these are our kind of habitual ways we respond to these energies. And the Buddha pointed to mindfulness as really a middle way. Right down the middle, we can explore what is the experience of ill will or sense desire or restlessness. What is the experience of it in the present moment? And that is a kind of, um, it's neither repressing it because we are opening to it, but it is also holding it in a different way. With mindfulness, we hold that energy and, and have perhaps some capacity to not act on, on that energy, to not follow through on that energy in our habitual way, to not buy into it. Instead, we explore, oh, this is what it's like. This is the human experience of this challenging experience, of this difficult energy. And so this is what the Buddha pointed to, a completely different relationship to these difficult states. And this different relationship is the key to their transformation. These energies are often experienced as suffering. As I said a a few minutes ago, most of our reactive emotions are some mixture of of these hindrances. Anger, for instance, is a form of ill will. Something like um, frustration might be 
a kind of um, the, the predominant the predominant flavor, the predominant hindrance in frustration might be different at different times, depending on what's going on. And so there are times, at least in my own experience, I've seen frustration as a uh, an expression of um, kind of being pulled to something pleasant and not getting it, and and having that the pull to the pleasant be the the kind of the main thing, and, and then there's this kind of resistance or, or the frustration is about not getting that pleasant. Always, I think, frustration is about you know, bumping up against something uh, where we don't get what we want. But sometimes the flavor of what's most obvious in frustration might be the sense of you know, the draw towards that pleasant thing, that feeling of, oh, I just so want that thing, and oh, I can't get it. And so sometimes the flavor might be more of that desire in, in frustration. Or at other times it might be more the, the anger that I'm not getting it. The ill will side of it might be more obvious. And so different ones of these can be uh, present at any time. And so what I'd say is that most of our reactive emotions, the wide variety of reactive emotions that we, that we have, we can find these flavors of, react- of, of reactivity, of um, these five flavors of hindrances will be part of those difficult emotions. And so, you know, the Buddha, I think the Buddha often is pointing to simplifying our understanding and so pointing to, well, what's happening right now is some mixture of these, of these hindrances. So useful to get to know these energies and how to work with them. So as forms of suffering, you know, the Buddha talked a lot about suffering and exploring how to work with suffering. Uh, And the key, one of the keys that's expressed in one of the suttas that's uh, said to be the first sutta that the Buddha gave, the first discourse that he gave, in that, teaching, he talked about suffering and that recognizing suffering is really important, first of all, knowing that it's happening. This is suffering. He says, this is an important recognition. And he says then, suffering should be understood. This is is also a different relationship than we're used to around suffering. Either we wallow in our suffering or we want to get rid of it. And the Buddha suggests understanding. And understanding not in the, in the sense of figuring it out, thinking about it, how, how is this happening, but more understanding in terms of what does it mean to meet this with mindfulness? This is the kind of understanding the Buddha was pointing to. An investigation, an exploration of this experience. What is this? What is the experience of sense desire? What is the experience of ill will? It's kind of a gathering of data. We don't have to figure it out so much as just meet, contact, contact the experience. Earlier, uh, when I was talking about the hindrances earlier this week, I, I gave an image of 
exploring. And this word investigation often is um, understood to be thinking about analyzing, figuring out. But what I mean by investigation here is more akin to rubbing. And I can get to know something about this bowl, something about this bell by, by touching it softly with this cloth, by staying in contact with it, by meeting it in this gentle way. Now, it may not satisfy an urge to know everything about this bell instantaneously, but it is a very um, respectful way to meet this bell. It's not destroying it. It's just meeting what's obvious, available to be known on the surface. And so this is, this is kind of the... Uh, approach that mindfulness, that we can take with mindfulness to our experience. Exploring, a kind of holding experience with this kind of almost a soft container of the mind that allows us to just meet what's here, what's obvious in these energies. And so this is what I mean by exploring and investigating these difficult states. And so the Buddha offered a number of instructions on working with these hindrances, and I'm really only going to focus on a couple of them. Um, In particular, in the Satipatthana Sutta, the Buddha's instructions on mindfulness, the Buddha said, with respect to these energies, we should recognize when they're present, know that they're there. Recognize when they're not there. This one actually ends up being really helpful. I don't know if I'll have a chance to really speak to this tonight because I really want to spend some time talking about each of the hindrances so that there's, a, there's some recognition uh, as, as we explore and what each of them is. It, it can help in terms of being able to recognize them in our own experience. So recognizing that it's present and recognizing that it's absent and in recognizing that it's present, kind of hovering with it, staying with it, getting to know it. And so this is what I'd like to mostly talk about. The other piece that uh, I may get to speak about a little bit is um, the other instruction is notice what conditions um, make it happen. What are the conditions that kind of lead towards these states to happen? So... I'll go through each. And this will be a kind of... Sometimes I've done courses where I've done a whole talk on just one of these. And so this is just the the highlights for each one. So sense desire is kind of a pull towards sense pleasure. A pull towards pleasant experience in the realm of our sense experience. The desire to have that sense pleasure. It's a, it's a sense pleasure itself is not a hindrance. It is the pull in the direction of, I need that sense pleasure. And, and um, being driven by the belief that having that sense pleasure, holding to that sense pleasure, will make me happy. So there's a sense of a needing it in order to be okay. 
This is the the sense desire piece. That it, it 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 brings in that kind of a, a kind of a tightening around. I need that. I'm not going to be okay unless I have that pleasure. Pleasure comes and goes in our experience. So pleasure itself is not is not inherently a problem. Pleasure comes and goes, unpleasant comes and goes, pleasant, unpleasant, neutral are just kind of the 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 stream of our experience. And but but what we tend to do is when there's something pleasant, we tend to kind of go, oh, more of that, I want that. Or when there's something unpleasant, we want to push it away. And the pushing away of the unpleasant is the ill will side. The wanting to gravitate towards the pleasant is the the sense desire side. And so this hindrance keeps us from being present by taking us out of the present moment, taking us away from what's happening right now to um, trying to figure out how am I going to get this thing, hold on to this sense pleasure, just kind of a movement in that direction. And a lot of what happens here, I mean, sense desire itself and, and if, we, if we turn to look at sense-desire itself, we'll actually see that it feels, something feels off. When we want something, there's already a feeling of dissatisfaction. I don't have what I want. And so already there's a, a kind of a, a feeling of offness. This, there is some suffering happening when we want something. But we typically don't notice that. Because we're in the, um, the idea, in the kind of almost fantasy that, oh, when I get that thing, that's going to be so great. That's, that's the story of sense desire. And we are pulled into that. We are seduced by that, by that story, by that fantasy. The Buddha uh, gave analogies for each of these hindrances and um, with respect to... Uh, a bowl of water. And um, he said that uh, the, in terms of being able to see your reflection in a bowl of water, you know, when the water is calm, when it's still, uh, we can see our reflection in the bowl of water. For the hindrance of sense desire, he says it's as if there's all this colored dye in the water. And we don't see ourselves because we're entranced by the colors instead. That's the flavor of... of um, sense desire, we are pulled into this kind of idea that, oh, it's going to be so wonderful when I get that. And because of that, we are um, in this kind of story that's very pleasant. We've bought into this um, experience that's constructed by our own minds that is a, a, a pleasant fantasy. And this pleasant fantasy is basically obscuring that the feeling of sense desire hurts. The feeling of wanting actually hurts. And so this is part of what we, we explore. And so one of the key um, tools for working with sense desire and ill will, because these two are very similar in some ways in terms of how they, how they function, um, one of the keys is to see when you notice that you want something, when, you want, when you're pulled in the direction of something. See if you can let your attention 
um, let go of thinking about the thing that you want and turn instead towards the experience of sense desire. What is the human experience of sense desire? What does it feel like? Not trying to stop it. And so this is, this is part of the, the art of our practice with the, um, with, the, with the hindrances. As we turn to them, our minds have got all kinds of strategies for avoiding the suffering of these hindrances, even as they're happening. And so we've convinced ourselves through thoughts, through um, fantasy, through taking ourselves out of the present moment that we are not suffering. And yet as soon as we turn to them with mindfulness, we, be, we do begin to feel the suffering of them. And so this is actually, it's good news. <laughs> It's actually good news that we are feeling that suffering because we are, we are driven in some ways by these energies of, of suffering to do things to get rid of those, that feeling. You know, we, we, when we have the feeling of wanting, some part of us does feel the, the unpleasantness of it. And so we, we are projected, we're, we're popped out of the present moment into the fantasy to try to figure out how to get that thing. Because the story of wanting is telling, telling us in that moment the only way to be happy is to get that thing. When we're caught by wanting, wanting is not going to give us the information, not going to tell us an alternative story, which is that if you hang out with wanting and feel it, it will only last so long. It it will go away. And when that wanting goes away, you see that there's a completely different way to relate to this hindrance. When the wanting goes away, the feeling of the offness goes away. Now this is not to say, sometimes when, when, when I talk about this, like, you know, um, to not be motivated by wanting... Well, wanting has got its tentacles so deeply into us that it's also got the story that you're not going to do anything unless you want it. You know, we we believe in some ways that unless we want to do something, we would never do it. Unless there is that kind of pull towards desiring something, that we would not do it. And yet, what we start to see uh, as we engage with a different exploration around um, these energies is that we might see that when we, when we open to the feeling of wanting and we feel the pain of it, we begin to, to understand that that's not a helpful energy. You know, as, as, we, as we open to wanting in the present moment, our system, our system gets a different education about this hindrance. And it basically begins to understand, ah, this is not helpful. This does not feel good. This does not feel like it's moving in the direction of well-being. And so the mind begins to understand different ways to relate to it and begins to kind of loosen its grip on that, that, that clenching, that, that holding. And so I think I just heard actually this morning that Gil talked or yesterday, I guess, he talked about uh, this clenching and releasing. 
And this is kind of what we explore, is that sense desire, when it's operating, is like a clenched fist. And letting go of sense desire is like opening that clenched fist. In the opening of that clenched fist, there may still be action. There may still be movement. There may still be um, um, aspiration, different words perhaps, for why we might be motivated by something. Compassion, wisdom, aspiration, generosity can be motivations for action that are different motivations than that clenched energy. And so this is what we begin to see, is that there are different, different motivations that, that can come as we begin to look at these, these hindrances. So not resisting, but opening to. This, this middle way I talked about, neither repressing nor expressing. What does it mean to meet it? It can be helpful to explore it in the body, let go of thoughts, and just turn towards the experience seeing if there can be an allowing of the discomfort of the wanting. As we allow the discomfort of the wanting, we begin to learn something about it. And this is where the Buddha talked about understanding. Understand suffering. This is the kind of understanding he was talking about. Understanding it by holding it, allowing it to show itself to us, recognizing it. As we do that, it's like we get little bits of information about this sense desire. We get little bits of information about how it's put together in our minds and the pain of the holding. And there begins to be a transformation around it. The, the wisdom, the understanding that comes as we uh, hold our hindrances, sense desire and all of them, as we hold them with mindfulness, it is the understanding that comes with that that creates a transformation, that allows a, a releasing. And so, you know, it's, it's kind of paradoxical. I mean, we, we um, I say, you know, we should, we, we should explore, just be curious about these, these, um, these hindrances and not, like, try to get rid of them. You know, if we're, if we're trying to get rid of sense desire, we're engaging in ill will. We don't like sense desire. I want to get rid of it. And so we, we need to be cognizant of, of that, that we're, we're operating with that energy if we're, you know, wanting to get rid of sense desire. And so, um, you know, it's very natural when we feel the suffering of sense desire to want to get rid of it. But the Buddha pointed us instead to understanding it. The understanding that happens creates the conditions for over time, and it doesn't happen immediately, it's a, it's, a, it's a slow process, so we need some patience with this, but the understanding creates the conditions basically for the mind to begin to shift, transform its relationship to that difficult energy. And it will release over time. And so the understanding creates the conditions for these hindrances to begin to become weaker and weaker and weaker as we, as we practice with them. So now I'm going to have to talk really fast about these other ones. 
So ill will, in some ways, is very similar to um, to sense desire, because it is a similar energy. In 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 the the sense desire, there's something pleasant. We like it. We want it, and so we want to move towards it. In ill will, it's something unpleasant. We don't like it. We want to push it away. And yet this, it's the same kind of almost movement in our minds about I, I need this thing to change in order to be happy. So it's, a, it's, it's kind of a, the flip side of wanting is this I got to get rid of this thing in order to be happy. So the, the belief that happiness depends on getting rid of this unpleasant thing. So again, it pulls us away from the, from the present moment by having us engage in how can I separate myself from this thing. That might be how can I convince the other person to stop doing something or how can I um, um, get myself out of here? How can I get rid of this thing that, that um, is making me feel so miserable? So the, that there's this um, movement towards separation and um, we're often buying into that. And again, there's a kind of a belief in those stories that I'll be okay once I've gotten rid of that thing. And so we've, we're, we're not in the present moment noticing the feeling of the unpleasantness of the aversion as much as we are noticing, oh, I, I, I'm grasping out towards the future. Maybe in the future I'll be okay if I can get rid of this thing. So the analogy for um, for the bowl, the boil of water bowl of water is that it's boiling, and the energy of ill will is often a hot energy. Anger, hatred, often feels hot like that. And again, very similar to sense desire, the, a key here is to turn the attention away from the thing that we are not liking and towards the feeling itself, exploring that experience of aversion. Aversion is much more clearly not helpful. You know, when we, when we, when we see anger, when we see hatred in our, in our hearts, in our minds, it's, 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 it's more obviously suffering than wanting is. The story of wanting is so deeply embedded that when we notice wanting, we don't, even sometimes if we, if we know, oh yeah, I want that thing, we think, oh, but that feels so good because we're, we're already hooked into the, into the fantasy. With, with anger, it's actually, with ill will, aversion, it's much easier to feel the suffering of it. And so to some extent, it's, it's great <laughs> because then we can, we can turn our attention to it more easily. It's much easier to feel the suffering of anger in some ways. And so taking the attention out of the thing that you uh, don't like, that unpleasantness, and turning towards the experience. Again, exploring, investigating with that kind of rubbing, ex- uh, rubbing kind of touching. What is it like to be a human being feeling this experience? seeing if you can let go of the thoughts and feel it in the body. Now, with, um, with ill will, because it's an unpleasant experience, often we, it, it kind of compounds itself quickly <laughs> because we're experiencing an unpleasant experience and then we become very aware we're experiencing an unpleasant experience and we don't like that unpleasant experience. And so there's aversion to the aversion and then aversion to that aversion. And so it can, it can cycle up quickly 
at times. And so sometimes we, um, we may need to recognize if we are in the turning our attention to something like ill will. With any of these hindrances, if you turn your attention to them and you find yourself kind of pulled into the rabbit hole of them, you just get sunk into the story of them, then it's useful to learn some strategies for stepping aside. And so with ill will in particular, it does seem like it's easy to get overwhelmed when we try to be mindful of it. And so for myself, um, I spent many years working with anger early in my practice when there were times where it would quickly move into overwhelm as soon as I noticed it. And so I just learned the skill of recognizing it, saying, yep, I see you. I see that you would like me to pay attention to you, but right now that's a little hard. So I'm going to put my attention on something else right now. And so I would do that redirection. And often for me, for some reason, I was, um, I was walking when I got so angry. And so I just put my attention in my feet. And I, it was kind of like I said to my anger, I'd bow to it. And so this was not a repression. A repression. I wasn't meeting that anger with anger. It's kind of like saying, I see you. And, you know, you can take a walk with me, but I'm going to put my attention on my feet. So it's kind of like, it's like you can stay here, but I'm not going to give you any attention right now. You know, you can, you can walk with me, but I'm going to put my attention on my feet. And that ended up being a very useful strategy for me for quite a while around a certain flavor of anger that came back over and over again. Just, oh, I see you, and just, I bowed to it, and then, not now, I'm going to put my attention on my feet. So learning how to work with uh, overwhelm with any of, these, any of these hindrances, if any of them are so strong that you can't, um, that you find as soon as you try to be with it, you get sucked under some kind of strategy like this is useful. Then um, sloth and torpor. This is, a, this is basically low energy, dullness, sleepiness, many flavors of sloth and torpor. Um, um, thick mind, heavy mind, might be physical tiredness, might be, um, you know, can be sloth and torpor in the body, but mostly um, it's, the, it's the thickness of the mind. My, the mind is not clear because there's low energy. The analogy for this in terms of the water is that the, uh, the water is covered with algae. It's stagnant, and so just algae is growing on the surface of the water. So the mind often will get agitated about um, sloth and torpor because it feels like I can't do anything. We believe, in particular around meditation, we believe, I can't meditate while I'm sleepy. Anybody had that thought? I think some of you aren't raising your hand. <laughs> it's a pretty common, it's a pretty common um, belief that if we're sleepy, it's not possible to be mindful. And yet, if you can think, if you have the thought, I'm too sleepy to meditate, I would like to propose to you that you actually are already aware that you're sleepy, 
And so there's already mindfulness of sleepiness. And you might be able to be aware of sleepiness. What, what often happens with sleepiness is that we are in a position, or, or, or this dullness of mind, we are in a position where we want our experience. So there's a desire. There's a desire embedded in it. We want to be experiencing things in a different way than having this heavy mind. And so uh, we want, for instance, in meditation, we want to be able to see things clearly. We want to be able to feel the breath the way we could feel it three days ago. Or we want to be able to know clearly what's happening in our meditation experience. And so we have this idea about what we want and this feeling of sleepiness, of dullness, of thickness, of fogginess. It it feels like I can't do that, so I can't meditate. Meditation means being able to clearly see something. We have that idea. And yet, the mind can also recognize and clearly know, in a funny way, fog. It can, it can, it, we can know that. We can, we can know, oh, this is the experience of fog. This is the experience of sleepiness. This is the experience of dull mind. This is the experience of low energy. We can be aware of that. I often use a, an analogy of a mirror in exploring this particular hindrance because um, a mirror is very similar to mindfulness in that a mirror reflects everything. And a mirror doesn't particularly care what it reflects. Very like this wise mindfulness is non-judgmental about what it is mindful of. Mindfulness, this wise mindfulness, just knows and is just aware. Oh, this is what's happening now, and it doesn't judge. It doesn't. It doesn't resist, and it doesn't hang on to. And so, you know, mindfulness is very like that mirror that reflects. The mirror is unchanged by whether it's reflecting something beautiful or something unbeautiful. It's just doing its reflecting. And now think of that mirror when it's coated by steam. You know, we're, we're standing in front of the mirror and it's not reflecting us. And so we might do something to, to you know, take the steam off the mirror. It's not doing the job we want it to do. And we might think, oh, I need to fix this mirror. But we know, actually, that the mirror is doing its job perfectly. It's reflecting every bit of steam or fog on the mirror. It's just not doing the job we want it to do. And very much like that's what's happening when we're dull or sleepy. Our mind isn't doing what we want it to do. And yet, we can know that. This is the experience. Dull mind feels like this. Play with it sometime if you are sleepy and have that thought. Oh, I'm I'm so sleepy. I can't meditate. Wait a minute. I know that I'm sleepy. Can I be aware of sleepiness? At one point I was um, meditating and uh, very, very sleepy. Lots of, lots of dull mind. And and I watched, I watched the the mind just kind of dropping. And I, I was able actually to watch it. And, and the, the, from the outside, it looked something like this. <laughs> you know the feeling, right? <laughs> but um, internally, 
I was aware of the entire feeling of the descending of sleepiness. And then the mind would fall asleep. And that would wake me up. I mean, that woke me up. So, well, I can do it again. So that that sitting, which looked like a lot of non-awareness, had a lot of awareness in it. So we can be. We can be mindful of sleepiness. So I'm apparently not going to get to the other hindrances. But I'm going to say um, that these hindrances, even the word hindrance, uh, the word hindrance of, um, you know, getting, hindering means hindering, it, getting in the way of. But when we bring mindfulness to the hindrances, when we um, explore this is the experience of this, they're no longer hindrances. They are actually the, um, the path. They are the deepening of our practice when we can be aware of them. I used the analogy of compost the other day when I was talking about this. I mean, typically we think of, you know, the, we might think of these difficult states as being garbage. You know, throw, the, throw this stuff out. You know, I certainly had that idea. I should just cut this thing out, excise the whole thing and toss it. But... What the, the practice asks us to do is to understand it, to hold it. And that holding essentially is kind of like the, the process of, of that, that garbage turning into rich soil, of, comp- of, of the, the, the food in that heap composting into something useful. It's a... Um, when we can bring wise mindfulness to our hindrances, they're no longer in the way of our practice. They are actually allowing our practice to deepen because we are not going to, um, we are not going to transcend our difficult energies by somehow like rising up over them and just you know, floating above them. We, those, those difficult energies that we all share as human beings, we all share them, are transformed when we meet them, when we land with the suffering. And so as we bring mindfulness to them, this is what, this is our path when they are arising. They're not, they're not a lesser practice. I guess that's part of what I want to say. Sometimes we think, oh, you know, once this ill will goes away or once this aversion goes away, then I can get down to the real practice. Well, I can tell you that it is the real practice. And very, very deep understanding and insights can arise when we are exploring these difficult energies. In my own uh, exploration of self-hatred, for example, deep understanding right in the midst of watching self-hatred, deep understanding into the uh, not-self nature of that, and then in an instant shifting from self-hatred to bliss. This is not a lesser practice. A transformation is possible. And I hope through, through offering that to inspire interest in 
and curiosity about meeting these energies. And not a kind of a sense of like, oh, well, that's happening. Okay, I guess I'll pay attention to that. But oh, oh, great, here's something coming up. What is this like? And so it's time to stop. Thank you for your attention. <laughs>